Let's spend some time in prayer. Good morning, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It's, it's a good day to look up and see you on your throne, that you're in charge, and you're accomplishing your purposes in the world. Lord, we thank you for, for good news like Nick having faith in you and joining, and, and Lord, for the life you've given us in Christ. And yet, Lord, our world is filled with brokenness too, and on this anniversary day, we think of so many in our country who've lost loved ones on 9-11 and in the wars that we've been involved in since then. And Lord, we pray for comfort. Lord, we are a needy people. That's why we're here. We need you. You know our needs, meet our needs. As we open your word, Holy Spirit, fall fresh. Move among us. Help us to all see Jesus. Lord, we pray that you would win lost people through your word and you would build believers, that you would equip workers, Lord, that you would multiply disciple makers. Lord, we're praying for revival in your church. We need revival. Will you not yourself revive us again? That your people may rejoice in you. Our nation needs a spiritual awakening. May you revive us so that we want to go and share with others how amazing you are. For we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Being a pastor is a really strange uh, calling. Uh, I mean, many of you, many of you are involved in, uh, in retail. And if you're involved in retail, the, 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 the rule of retail is what the customer is always what? Right. So in retail, you always tell the customer, the customer is always right. And as a pastor, I get to tell the customer he's always wrong. And not only do I get to tell the customer they're wrong, I get to tell them they're sinners and they're helpless. And then I say, oh, by the way, would you pay my salary? <laughs> what could go wrong with that, right? Uh, maybe that's why we take the offering before the message, right? <laughs> Just kidding. Well, sort of. Oh, if you're new, we're walking through the last book in the Older Testament. It's called Malachi. And the reason we're walking through this book is we're learning that everyone needs Jesus. Everyone needs Jesus. And, and you say, really? Yeah. I, I want to show you the point of the message today. And that is that Jesus is the promise keeper. You know why everyone needs Jesus? Because it's hard to keep our promises sometimes, isn't it? If you find it hard to do what you say you're going to do, if you find it hard sometime to keep your promises, this is a great place to be because we're going to learn today that Jesus is the promise keeper and he can help us keep our promises too. If you're new, as we're walking through this book of Malachi, we've discovered there's six arguments, six arguments in this book. And what I mean is first God makes a, a statement and then the people object back and say, how is that true? And then, and then God presents his case. Remember the first, he said, I have loved you. And the people said, how have you loved us? And he said, I chose you out of all the people on earth to love. And then we spent two weeks, we spent two weeks and, and God said, you're half-hearted in your worship. And the people said, how are we half-hearted? And he said, the people and the priest are both half-hearted. You've been offering lame and blind sacrifices. Uh, why don't you give those to your governor and see if he would like it? So now... Now we're to the third argument. And in the third argument, he says, you are promise breakers. 
You are promise breakers. So, Malachi 2, verse 10. Do we not all have one father? And he could be speaking of, of God as our father or as Abraham as the father of all the Jews. But, but aren't we related? Do we not all have one father? Has not God created us? Why do we deal treacherously, each against his brother, so as to profane the covenant of our fathers? The word treacherously, that's where he says that you are promise breakers. The Older Testament was written in Hebrew, and the Hebrew word for treacherously was begad, which means to deal treacherously, to betray, to be unfaithful, to be promise breakers. And what he's going to do here, he's going to give them three illustrations for how they break, for how they break their promises. First, they break their promises in everyday life. That's in verse 10. Then we're going to look at 11 and 12, where they are promise breakers uh, by marrying outside their faith. And then in verses 13 through 16, we're going to see how they're promise breakers through divorce. Uh, the word treacherously is going to occur five times in, uh, in seven verses. Now, uh, what he's saying is that in everyday life, you break your promises. In everyday life, you're not honoring your contracts. In everyday life, you tell friends you're going to do something, and then you don't do it. Don't you hate it when someone breaks a promise to you, don't you? Don't you hate it when a friend tells you they're going to do something, and then they don't do it? Do, do you ever do that? That's what was happening then, that people were making promises in everyday life, and they weren't keeping that. And notice what he says, uh, we have dealt treacherously each against his brother so as to profane the covenant of our fathers. Speaking about the covenant that God made with Abraham. And a covenant is a binding promise, a binding promise. And here's what God did to Abraham. I want to bless you and I want to make you a blessing to all the nations. There was one nation on earth that God wanted to be a light to all the nations and if they would keep their promises like God kept his promises, they would help light up the darkness. But because they were breaking their promises, uh, listen, they were profaning the, the God's covenant. They were dishonoring his name. So, so God says, listen, your covenant or your promise breakers in, in, in all of life. Now next he moves to that they were marrying outside the faith, breaking their promise to follow him. Judah has dealt treacherously, um, and an abomination has been committed in Israel and in Jerusalem. See the word abomination? An abomination means something that's extremely offensive to God. That their promise breaking is an abomination to God. It is extremely offensive to God. And I often share with you that a sin, a sin is a crime against God. Often we don't think of it of being against God, but here we see that them breaking their promises was an abomination. And an abomination has been committed in Israel and in Jerusalem. For Judah has profaned the sanctuary of the Lord, which he loves, and has married the daughter of a foreign god. They've married outside their faith. As for the man who does this, may the Lord cut off from the tents of Jacob everyone who awakes and answers or who preserve, presents an offering to the Lord of hosts. Now, many of you are single, 
and uh, some of you are single, you're looking for that one person that's your soulmate. And I, God makes it much simpler than that. God says to people, you can marry anyone you want as long as they share your faith. Marry anyone you want who is a believer. That's what God says. Well, why would God say that? Well, first of all, God wants you when you get married to share your first love with the person you marry. Why would you want to marry someone that the most important thing in your life was not the most important thing in their life? You want to marry so that your first loves are the same. That's positive. And then the negative, he says, that if you marry someone who does not share your faith, it's very likely that they will lead you away from the one true God. You'll get married and they'll say, well, I don't want to go to church and I don't want to raise our children to follow Jesus and I don't want to give. And if you're not careful, they'll lead your heart away from God. And that's exactly what Israel had done. Before the Babylonian captivity, the Jewish men had married foreign women. They had turned their hearts away from God. And so God had disciplined. For 70 years, they were in Babylon. And now they've returned. And you know what they're doing? They're doing the same thing they did before. They're marrying outside their faith. And God says, listen, you're breaking your promises to me to follow me and to do what I've told you to do. Um, so if you're single, uh, listen to what the Bible says to you in 2 Corinthians chapter 6. Um, um, listen, if you're a Christian single, marry anybody you want who's a Christian. Do not be bound together with unbelievers. Don't marry someone who doesn't share your faith. For what partnership have righteousness and lawlessness? Or what fellowship is light with darkness? How can light and darkness be united? Or what harmony has Christ with Belial? Or what has a believer in common with an unbeliever? You don't share the most important thing. and You're going in different directions. Or what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God. Now, we're individually temples, but there's something special about the church. As the church, we're where God dwells on earth today. We are the temple of the living God. Just as God said, I will dwell in them and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Therefore, come out from their midst and be separate. Jesus says, come follow me. Be different from the people around you who don't know me. Come out from their midst and be separate, says the Lord, and do not touch what is unclean, and I will welcome you. And I will be a father to you, and you shall be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. So, God's third argument is, you are promise breakers. You break promises by not doing what you say you'll do in all of life. You break the promises you've made to me by marrying outside the faith. And now we come to the third illustration that he gives of being promise breakers. Verse 13, this is another thing you do. You cover the altar of the Lord with tears, with weeping and with groaning, because he no longer regards the offering or accepts it with favor from your hand. Yet you say, for what reason? You, you, you come to church, you, you come, you, you weep and you weep, and, and God doesn't listen, and you say, Why? For what reason? Here God presents his case. Because the Lord has been a witness between you and the wife of your youth 
against whom you have dealt treacherously. There's the third time the word. You've broken your promises. You've dealt treacherously, though she is your companion and your wife by covenant. Marriage is a covenant relationship. And a covenant is a binding promise. A covenant is way, way more than a, than a contract. It is a, 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 it's a binding promise that we make. And it says here that, that God is, is our witness. <clears throat> uh, uh, you ever been to a wedding? Anybody in here ever been to a wedding? Been to a wedding? At wedding, they exchange vows, right? You ever wonder why we take vows? Why is it when we come together, we exchange vows? There's two reasons, two reasons. The first is it's the greatest expression of love we could ever have. That with God as our witness and all these other people, we say, I love you. I love you more than anyone. I mean, is there anything better than that? With God and others, we're saying, I love you. But the second reason, the second reason we take vows is because we recognize that romantic love alone is not enough to hold us together, so we, bind, we give our word. We make a binding promise. We bind ourselves in with a vow, and we call God as a witness and others as a witness. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here in the presence of God and these witnesses to join together a man and woman in holy marriage. That's what he's saying. Uh, he's saying the Lord has been a witness between you and the wife of your youth. You gave your word. You exchanged vows against whom you have dealt treacherously, though she is your companion and your wife. You made a vow in the presence of God and others. But not one <clears throat> has done so who has a remnant of the Spirit. See, the Holy Spirit was at work in the lives of people in the Old Testament. And what did that one do while he was seeking a godly offspring? Um, so let's walk back a little bit, okay? Uh, marriage is God's institution, not ours. God defined marriage, and God revealed his ideal. God's ideal was one man and one woman for life. It's God's institution, and that's God's ideal. And then God has an order. God has an order, and God's order is love, marriage, sex, and children. They're all bundled together. We live in a culture that's unbundled. We live in a culture that love and sex and marriage and children have nothing to do with one another, but not so with God. With God, they're bundled. There is an order. First, you love. Then you exchange vows. Then you have sex. Then children come. And children get to grow up as godly offspring who have a mother and father because children need a father and mother. Amen. Thank you. Um, in um, Matthew 19, let me show you what Jesus said about this. In Matthew 19, verse 3, some Pharisees came to Jesus testing him and asking, um, uh, wait a minute, I think I've just uh, jumped where I want to be. So let me go back to Malachi. Let me go back to Malachi. So what he says is that uh, God's order is love and marriage and sex and children. 
And then he says in verse 15, Take heed to your spirit and let no one deal treacherously against the wife of your youth. What he's saying is here, don't let divorce even enter into your heart. Don't let it into your inner being. Don't think about it. Don't dwell on it. Don't uh, um, take heed to your spirit, to your heart. Let no one deal treacherously against the wife of your youth. Now, the next verse, notice he says, for I, what? I hate divorce. Now, now don't get mad at me. I didn't write it. I wasn't consulted. It's my job to, to preach it and to explain it. God says, for I hate divorce, says the Lord, the God of Israel. And him who covers his garment with wrong, says the Lord of hosts. Now, why does God say, I hate divorce? God hates divorce because that's not God's design. God hates divorce because in divorce, we rip apart what God has joined together. Now we'll go to Matthew 19. Uh, in, in Matthew 19, verse 3, some Pharisees came to Jesus testing him and saying, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any reason at all? And he answered and said, have you not read that he who created them from the beginning? Now I always tell you, what's the most important verse in the Bible? It's the first one. So I want you to know, they wanted to talk about divorce way down here. And when Jesus gets asked, he goes back to the very beginning and says, remember, God created us. That from the beginning, God created us male and female. He, male and female. He made us male and female. So listen, God created us male and female. There are two sexes. And God created us male and female because he has a purpose for our lives. He made us. Male and female, that's who we are. It's how God made us. And said, for this reason, a man, notice clearly, a man shall leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife, a man and woman, and the two shall become one flesh. That marriage is a one flesh union. So notice what he says. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. Listen, God joined love, marriage, sex, and children together. And he said, let no man undo what God has joined. Um, and then God says, the two become one flesh. And when we're made one, he says, who should rip apart what God has made one? Uh, so, so why does God hate divorce? Because it's not his design because we rip apart what God has joined together. Why? Because in divorce, we break our promise. Why? Because as Christians, when we get divorced, we dishonor his name. Why? Because marriage leads to human flourishing and divorce hurts people. It hurts children. It hurts wives. It hurts children. It hurts churches. It hurts community. And you say, well, well Smiley, is divorce always wrong? Divorce is always sad. Divorce is always tragic. But the Bible permits divorce for two reasons. For, for unfaithfulness from someone's spouse, from immorality. And the Bible permits divorce when, when there's desertion, when one of the spouses leaves. And, and you say, but, but Smiley, I, I, I'm divorced. What about me? Listen, the past is past. 
Not one of us can do anything about the past. The past is gone. But what we can do is say, Jesus, forgive me. And we can say, Jesus, from this day forward, I, I want to follow you. That's all we can do because the past is past. But it's so important for those who are married and those who are going to be married to know what God's design for marriage is. So back to Malachi 2 as we finish the passage. See, speaking to married folks, so take heed to your spirit that you do not deal treacherously. Don't let divorce even come into your thinking, much less come out of your mouth. Huh. So here's what God says. My problem with you is that you are promise breakers. You break promises in all of life. You break promises by marrying outside the faith, and you, make, you break promises against the one that you entered into a covenant with. And that's what takes us back to where we started, to Jesus. Uh, because a lot of us are saying, I'm kind of in trouble here. And, and you're right. And what we're learning today is that Jesus is the promise keeper, that Jesus is the promise keeper. So I want to unpack that for you a little bit. And the first thing I want you to understand is keeping our promises is a good thing. Keeping our promises is a beautiful thing. When we keep our promises in everyday life, it's a good thing. When we keep our promises to marry someone within the faith, that's a good thing. When we keep our marriage vows, it's a good thing. It leads to human flourishing. But only one person has ever been a promise keeper. Only one person has ever been a promise keeper, and it's not me and it's not you, and his name is Jesus. Jesus is the promise keeper. Let me show you that. The gospel has some bad news, and we see that in Romans 3, verse 23. Romans 3, 23. Will you read this with me? For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Jesus is a promise keeper. How many of us have missed that? How many? All of us have. The Bible says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Listen, we've all said we were going to do things and not do it, right? And, and many, many of us have, have married outside the faith, and many, many of us are divorced. But one thing that's true, it's not like there's some in here who haven't kept their promises. None of us have. We've all failed, especially me. We've sinned against God over and over again, and what we deserve from God is we deserve hell itself because we are promise breakers. All of us are. But the good news is that Jesus is the promise keeper. There is one who lived life the way it was meant to be lived. His name is Jesus. He did it all right. You see, Jesus is God who became a man, and he lived life the way it was meant to be lived. And because he never sinned, he could do something for us. He could take care of our sin problem. In 1 Corinthians 15, this is such good news. In 1 Corinthians 15, verse 3, for I delivered to you, that's the first importance. You're in school, the teacher tells you it's of first importance. What do you know? You don't want to miss this, right? Oh, this is so good. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for us. He didn't have any sins. He was sinless, so he could take our place. He could pay the penalty for our sins since he didn't have any. He died for our sins, according to the scriptures. So the sinless one was on a cross. And you know what the cross says? It says two things. 
It says, our promise breaking is way worse than we ever imagined it was. That our promise breaking is so much worse than we ever imagined it was. This is what we deserve. But you know what the cross also says? That Jesus' love for us is so much more amazing than we ever considered that he took our sins and he died in our place once and for all. And what he cried out from the cross was, it is finished or paid in full. You see, Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures that he was buried. I mean, he really was dead. And he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. You see, death is a penalty for sin. And when a dead man got up and walked out of the tomb, what that meant was the penalty for sin had been paid in full. And he could offer to us the greatest gift ever given, the gift of eternal life. And you know what eternal life is? It's the forgiveness for our sins. Because we've all failed as promise keepers. Eternal life is forgiveness for our sins. It means we get to do life with the promise keeper, that we get to do eternity with the promise keeper. And how do we get this gift? Jesus tells us in John 6, doesn't he? Uh, Would you read this verse with me? Truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes has eternal life. So who does Jesus say has eternal life? So if you believe, you know what that means? (laughs) You have eternal life. You know what that means? You're forgiven of all your sins, past and present and future. You know what that means? That Jesus has moved into you and you get to do life with him. You know what that means? You're going to spend all of eternity with him. Aren't you thankful? Um, And listen, if you've never believed, wouldn't you like to? Wouldn't you like to be forgiven for what you've done? Wouldn't you like to do life in eternity with Jesus? Listen, people are forever. It's either going to be eternal life or eternal punishment. Won't you choose life? But Smiley, what does it mean to believe in Jesus? Listen, it's as simple as ABC where we admit and believe and commit. To have eternal life starts when we admit, Jesus, I've not kept my promises. I haven't done everything I said I would. I've sinned against you and I'm sorry, won't you? You can do that right now or I'd be glad to assist you when we pray. But it starts when we admit and then we say, Jesus, I believe that you died on the cross for my sins and rose. And then we commit, Jesus, come in and be my Savior and forgive me and give me eternal life, won't you? I want you to be Lord of my life. Help me. Help me be the person you want me. Help me to be a promise keeper. I failed. Help. Won't you? Uh, so, so here's what I want you to understand, that that Jesus is the promise keeper, that that keeping our promises, keeping our promises is good. It's a beautiful thing. But only one person has ever been a promise keeper. And that's why everyone needs Jesus. Everyone needs Jesus to become a promise keeper. We all need Jesus. I want you to understand grace. I want you to understand the gospel. The gospel, grace is not, no one is a promise keeper, so let's just lower the standard. That's not grace. Grace is Jesus forgiving those who broke their promises. Grace is Jesus moving into us and lifting us every day of our lives so that we become more and more like him. We become promise keepers. When Jesus moves into us, he says, follow me, follow me. And he's our model for life and ministry, how beautiful it would be to live life as a promise keeper. And to help us in this, he gives us the Holy Spirit. He gives us the Holy Spirit to give us a supernatural desire and power to follow Jesus and be promise keepers. Look at the life he lived. Isn't that how you want to be in your family? Isn't that how you want to be in life? Don't you want to be like Jesus? Follow him, right? 
So Jesus is the promise keeper. We, we looked at that. The, keeping our promises is a beautiful thing. It's a good thing. But only one person has done it, and everyone needs Jesus to forgive us for our failures and to move into us and to lift us to the standard. And so I'm going to turn from, from, from learning, and I, and I want to give you an action step. If, if you're new, I like to give you something to do during the week to remember Sunday. And the action step I want you to take this week is I want you to cultivate faithfulness to cultivate faithfulness. And um, I'm going to share with you three ways I cultivate faithfulness, and you can do the same. And the first way is to abide in Christ, to abide in Jesus. In John 15, verse 5, I want you to hear what Jesus says. He says, I am the vine, you are the branches, he who abides in me. See the word abide? It means to be with a friend who loves you and stay there. That if we want to be faithful, we need to, to, to stay with Jesus. He who abides in me, and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. So if we want to bear the fruit of faithfulness, we abide in Jesus, that we are with a friend who loves us. Because the Bible teaches that faithfulness is the fruit of the Spirit, is the fruit of the Spirit. Let me show you that in Galatians chapter 5. See that? The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness. So the fruit of the Spirit in our lives is we become promise keepers. Two words, very important, fruit and spirit. Fruit and spirit. Fruit means there's something about faithfulness that's natural. It's like fruit of the Spirit. That means there's something about uh, faithfulness that's supernatural. Take a farmer. Can a farmer make something grow? Can a farmer do that? Are you guys there? Take a, you think he can? No! But does a farmer stay in bed? No. What does a farmer do? He cultivates, right? He plants the seed. He waters. He fertilizes. But who brings the growth? God does. And that's like it with us. <laughs> Listen, we don't produce faithfulness, but we cultivate it. We How do we do that? Isn't that why we're here? We're here because we want to be with the faithful one, the promise keeper, because when we spend time with him, the Holy Spirit forms him in us because faithfulness is the fruit the Holy Spirit produces in us as we abide in Jesus. And the reason we gather in small groups or get up and have breakfast with Jesus, it's not because we're good people. It's because we realize that our part is to cultivate faithfulness, but it's the Holy Spirit who produces within us faithfulness. And uh, when we spend time with Jesus, we discover something very, very important. He really is a promise keeper. In Titus chapter 1, look at this verse. Titus 1.1, 1, 1, Paul, a bondservant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, for the faith of those chosen of God and the knowledge of the truth, which is according to Godliness, in the hope of eternal life, which God who cannot lie. If someone ever asks you, is there anything God cannot do, you'll know what he cannot lie. You see, who cannot lie promised long ago. Jesus is the promise keeper. He cannot lie. And important things in the Bible are said more than once. So we read the same thing in Hebrews chapter 6. In the same way, desiring even more to show to the heirs of the promise the unchangeableness of his purpose, interposed with an oath, so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie. Aren't you glad Jesus is the promise keeper? 
Aren't you? You guys awake? Aren't you glad? Have we not staked our eternity? Haven't we staked our eternity on the fact that Jesus promises eternal life to all who believe? Haven't we? Oh, you see, see my nightmare sometimes, my favorite Super Bowl commercial was over 20 years ago. And rather than explain it to you, I, I, I want to show it to you. So you claimed 84000 in entertainment expenses? Yes, I did. Do you have any receipts to back this up? No, I don't. Well, what's in the bag then? Tostitos chips and salsa? People really love them. And every time I open the bag, I mean one thing... Tostitos tortilla chips are so deliciously perfect with Tostitos salsa. Next thing you know, it's a party. I smell refund! Really? No, not really. <laughs> Tostitos, prepare to party. $85,000 in entertainment expenses? Yeah. I smell a refund. Really? No, not really. Aren't you glad when Jesus says eternal life is a free gift? He who believes in me will live forever. And it sounds too good to be true. And we go, really? Aren't you glad he doesn't say no, not really? When Jesus says, if you believe in me, you will be forgiven of all your sins. And we say, really? Aren't you glad he doesn't respond, no, not really? When Jesus says, I'm going to get you safely home, I'm never leaving you. And we go, really? Aren't you glad he doesn't say, no, not really? Aren't you glad to know that he is a promise keeper? Um, that's why we abide in him. We abide in him because as we look at Jesus, as we spend time with the one who cannot lie, the Holy Spirit forms him in our hearts, faithfulness. So the first thing that I do is I abide in Jesus. The second thing that I do is I team up. I team up. Listen, if we want to keep our promises in everyday life, if we want to make sure we marry a, a, in the family, if we want to make sure we stay married, don't try this alone. Don't try this alone. That's why we need each other. In Proverbs, in Proverbs 13, verse 20, he who walks with wise men will be wise but the companion of fools will suffer harm. Do you know what a wise person is? A wise person says, Jesus is wiser than me. You know what a fool is? Someone who says, listen, I am wiser than Jesus. If we want to be promise keepers, it's really important that we do life with other wise people who believe that Jesus knows what's best. Um, I am. Um, do you know it's football season? Do you know last night was rather disappointing for me? But I have to share with something way more disappointing than last night. Uh, there's a lot of recruiting going on now for, for players. And when people make a verbal commitment, they make a verbal commitment. They commit to go to a school. Do you know what other coaches do? They try and get them to break the commitment. We have something better here. You know why that breaks my heart? I mean, you might have a better football team, but one day they'll get married. And what if there's someone then who's trying to get them to break their commitment? Listen, faithfulness is something that we cultivate. When our kids were little, they would always sign up for a new soccer team. They would start playing and say, I don't like my team. And being super compassionate parents, you know what we said? I don't care. <laughs> you made a commitment. Play on the team for a year. You don't want to play next year. You don't need to. 
But listen, faithfulness is cultivated. You know why we want wise friends? Because if you go to friends and they're not wise and you say, you know what? I'm not in love with my husband anymore. You know what they're going to say to you? If you're not happy, get out. Because it's all about your happiness. <laughs> Some people make the mistake of coming and talking to me. <laughs> I can't tell you how many people have said, you know, Smiley, I just don't love my spouse anymore. And being Mr. Compassion, you know what I say? Who cares? <laughs> and they're shocked. Who cares? And I say, listen, I officiated at your wedding. And I heard you stand before God and others and say, no matter what, no matter what I'm in. And listen, I will do everything I can to help you keep your wedding vows because I love you, but I will not give you an excuse for breaking your vows. And that's what we need. We need wise friends. You know why? Because he who walks with the wise will be wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. I'm so glad I have so many friends in my life that if I said, man, I'm going to divorce my wife, they would break my legs. They would. <laughs> Don't you need friends like that too? Listen, I abide in Jesus, and, and then I team up, and thirdly, I share Jesus. I share Jesus. I have the best job in the world. Multiple times every year, I'm standing in front of people going, dearly beloved, we're here in the presence of God. Do you promise to love your spouse in the good times and bad times? And as I'm doing this, I'm thinking, huh, maybe I should do that too. It's so good for me to share Jesus with others. So many times a year, I'm preaching, I'm discipling someone, and I'm saying Jesus enables us to enjoy a happily imperfect marriage. Oh, oh, oh. Maybe I should do that too. So many times in a year, I'm teaching people the three steps to a happily imperfect marriage is I didn't marry Jesus, I'm not Jesus, and I need Jesus to love my spouse. You know, I know those three things. You know why? Because I'm teaching others all the time. And every time I teach someone else, I'm saying, maybe, maybe I should do what I'm asking others to do. Do you want to cultivate faithfulness? Listen, become a disciple maker. Become a disciple maker. What did Jesus say? He said, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. That when you begin to share with others what you're learning, that's what will help you be faithful. Every, every time you encourage someone else to forgive their spouse, you'll think, hmm, maybe I should do that too, right? When you encourage them to be committed for life, that'll help you. Become a disciple maker. Lead a small group if you want to be faithful. Why? Because if you lead a small group, you're more likely to be in small group than if you aren't leading it. You know why? You're the leader. And listen, when you're passing on to others what you're learning, that's what helps you be faithful too. Um, you know, sharing Jesus, sometimes we get it right, don't we? I mean, sometimes we are faithful, aren't we? And, and people say, wow, you're such a faithful person. I really appreciate that. And, and when people say that, what a great time to say, you know, I, I'm not really very faithful, but I know someone who is. The one I'm following is faithful, and I find the more I spend time with him, the more I become like him. Wouldn't you like to know him too? 
And if you're like me, sometimes you just mess it all up. I mess it up so much. But those are our best opportunities to share Jesus. When we, when we break our promises and we mess it all up, and then we can just tell friends, you know what? I am so thankful to be a Christian. And people say, why is that? And I say, well, religion says you have to be a good person to go to heaven, and I don't stand a chance. But you know what Jesus says? That if we admit we're wrong, he loves us and gives us eternal life. That's my only hope. When you're as messed up as I am, our only hope is to know Jesus. Wouldn't you like to know him? Let me ask you, who do you know? Who do you know who's really struggling to keep a promise? Won't you go to them this week? Won't you go in? Hey, could I share with you? Could I share with you what we learned this week? This week we learned Jesus is the promise keeper. And you know what? He forgives us and he moves into us and he helps us keep our commitments. Wouldn't you like his help? Um, who do you know this week who's broken their promises? Who do you know who's broken because they're divorced and they think, man, what I've done is just so bad? Wouldn't they love to hear what you've learned today? Wouldn't they love to hear that every one of us has broken promises? And that's why Jesus died. And when we believe in him, he forgives us of all of our sins. Aren't there people you know who'd love to know they could be forgiven? Won't you go and share with them? I meet so many Christians who are so discouraged. This is the greatest time ever to be a Christian, ever. Jesus said, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. We get to follow the promise keeper. And Jesus says, when we follow the promise keeper, he'll make us promise keepers too. So this week, let's cultivate faithfulness. Let's abide in Jesus. Let's team up. Let's share him. We have such good news that we can share with everyone. You know what it is? Everyone. Everyone needs Jesus to become a promise keeper. Don't they? Especially me. Let's pray. Jesus, we are so thankful that you came to seek and save sinners like me like all of us. Thank you for living a perfect life. Thank you for dying in our place on the cross once and for all. Thank you for rising and offering us eternal life. Oh, if you'd like to be forgiven and to do life in eternity with Jesus, if you need help in keeping your promises, Jesus is here. Won't you receive his gift? Won't you say, Jesus, I've sinned against you and I'm sorry. And I believe you died on the cross for my sins and rose. And I, and I want you to come in and be my Savior and forgive me and give me eternal life. I want you to be Lord of my life. Help me become the person you want me to be. Oh, if you've done that for the first time, won't you mark that on your card? We'd love to celebrate with you. And Jesus, for all of us who have received your gift of eternal life, thank you for forgiving us. Thank you for moving into us. Thank you for giving us your Holy Spirit. Thank you for giving us a model of how beautiful it is to be promise keepers. Lord, lift us to the standard. Lord, this week, help us to abide in you. Lord, help us this week to, to be promise keepers in everyday life. Lord, as single people here, Lord, I pray the single people would say, Lord, I, I want to marry a Christian. Lord, as married people, help us to say, Lord, I want, I want to stay married. Help. 
Lord, help us to team up and not try and do this alone. Lord, help us to share with others what we've learned today. For we pray in Jesus' name, amen.